You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, all right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. So great to see all of you. Um, Today we're going to be jumping into a message series. We're wrapping up the Gospel of John chapter 10. Hallelujah. Okay, let's try that again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There we go. You're awake. You're awake. Okay, so John chapter 10, the, the, the name of the message series is called Who is Jesus? Um, we've been in the gospel of John for over a year and a half, which is great. Um, I'm, I've really loved it. Um, this morning, uh, I'm going to close out just a, a, the, the chapter 10. And then uh, next Sunday, Pastor Bob Lehman, uh, founder of AZ Hills and uh, doing uh, worldwide ministry and missions, is coming and preaching on being a blessing and using your words to be a blessing. So how many of you guys know Pastor Bob? Raise your hand. Yeah, great guy, isn't he? He's an awesome, awesome guy. So he's a mentor friend to me, great encourager to me, served uh, several decades of ministry and church planting and pastoring, fantastic man. Uh, he and his wife are incredible. So they're coming next weekend. He'll be preaching uh, this week. Tomorrow morning, I'm getting in the truck. Woo! And I'm going to go quail hunting. I'm taking uh, the president of Fathers in the Field, president of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, board member of Fathers in the Field. We're spending three days together down in the southern part of the state hunting merns, gambles, and scaled. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. They're just those cute little birds, you know. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun, and we're dreaming and talking about how God could use fathers in the field, uh, helping connect our church men to uh, fatherless boys and making a difference. And so I'm going to spend several days with them, just engaging and talking and having a little bit of fun. So um, pray for me. Uh, We're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to, Lord willing, come back and share with you some new vision of what uh, God wants to do in and through this church and through fathers in the field. So we're excited about that. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into the message. And uh, today's message, I think, is going to really strengthen you uh, in your understanding of more of who Jesus is, and then how he is such an incredible example for us in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we invite you, Holy Spirit, You're already present in the life of every single believer here. But Lord, when we gather together, we know something magnifies the moments together. We praise you and give you thanks, Lord. You've always been good. You're you're good today. You're good tomorrow. You've been good for generation to generation. And Lord, today we look to you and we remind ourselves that you are God. You're in control. You're sovereign over everything that goes on in life. And today we pause for a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. Everybody said... Amen. So uh, we've been out on the streets. People have been asking uh, the question. Guys in our church, Stuart Fox, a wonderful man in our church, has been asking questions. Another guy named Eric's been flying around the country asking people about who Jesus is. And uh, this series will continue after I get back uh, from being down south. Um, But asking the question who Jesus is from around the country to around the state and it's very, very interesting to me. Check out this video of a young, uh, seems to be Catholic girl. Check it out. So the question is, what is your understanding of who Jesus is? Um, it's what you think. It doesn't have to be right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's different for everybody. But right. For me, my family's Catholic. So, um, you know, he's like, 
so um, just someone, I would say it's someone that kind of helps you figure your morals out. Okay. Anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, because I think it's different for everyone. Okay, real good. Well, thank you. All right. Well, hey, give Stuart a round of applause for being bold. Thank you, Stuart. Um, so you can expect more videos. Uh, how many of you are, uh, talk to people in the community about Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, look around. Uh, more of you should be talking to G about Jesus, right? Jesus is the light of the world. He is our hope. He is our joy. I, I don't need you necessarily to go put a video camera on everybody, but Jesus does want you to talk about him. Um, people cannot experience salvation unless they hear about Jesus. People cannot experience the life that God has given you, eternal life, unless they hear and understand the message of Jesus Christ. You be a light. These, this next 10 years, I, oh, I pray that our church would have a more uh, fervor and passion to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so today, here's what we're going to do. I want to review for you. The message title, first of all, is Jesus is our God and Jesus is our example. Let's say that together. Jesus is our... And Jesus is our... So there's really great application in that understanding of Jesus as our example. If you came in today with a little bit of stress, question, concerns, issues in life that are overwhelming, oh boy, Jesus is the perfect example for us. Um, if, uh, to, to remind though, let's nail it down. Uh, so far in John chapter 10, I'm kind of wrapping things up. Uh, for John chapter 10, Jesus has clearly declared that he was God. John chapter 10, verse 30 says this, Jesus speaks to the Jewish folks and he's declaring he's God. And he says this uh, phrase, I and the father are one. You remember that? I and the father are one. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, this means for the, for the Jehovah's Witness who has uh, problems with the Trinity, um, this would be a very important passage for you as a historical Orthodox Christian or a historical uh, Christian to understand Jesus is clearly claiming that he is God. I and the Father are one. What does that mean? It means uh, of unity, of the same substance, of the same uh, 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 a being, if you will. And so this is what the Nicene Creed was written about. Uh, Jesus is fully God, just as the Father is fully God. But historical Christianity teaches us, Jesus clearly laid it out, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, when he gave the Great Commission, baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the what? Holy Spirit. So there is one God, three persons, all are fully God. That is historical Christianity. Amen? Let's try that together. One, two, well, I messed that up for you. <laughs> Heretic! No. Uh, uh, so let's, let's try that again. I've, I've confused myself. Uh, one God, three persons, all fully God. Amen? That is the historical message of Christianity. Jesus declared he was God. Uh, remember John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. He is the door to salvation. We called it doors of grace. That's the message of Jesus. Then in John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The uh, nation of Israel, those believers back then would have realized he's claiming like he's the shepherd. 
He's the shepherd king. That's what he's claiming, that he is a good shepherd. And Jesus was saying that, and he says that uh, no one could snatch anybody from his hand. He's he's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. The sheep is the nation of Israel, the, the believers back then. They would have understood that we are like the sheep. That is the metaphor. Number one, Jesus declared he was God. He's not just a metaphor. Uh, like we've heard some of the street interviews, some kids and some young people are like, oh, he's just a metaphor. He's, um, others, uh, he is a good example, and that is true. And the young lady said that, something along those lines, and that's really, really good. However, Jesus clearly has declared that he is God. Um, that's very important if you are a Christian. Number two, Jesus demonstrated he was God. Not only did he declare out of his mouth but he demonstrated with his hands. How did he do that? He performed miracles. Here's what Jesus says. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Uh, he was doing all sorts of miracles. Let me refresh your mind. John chapter 9, he healed the man that was born blind. John chapter 6, he fed the 5,000. John chapter 5, he healed the guy that, at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 4, he, feels, he heals the official son. In John chapter 2, he turns water to wine. And some of you that like wine, that's your favorite Bible passage right there. Uh, so Jesus turned water to wine. That was his first miracle. John highlights many of the works of Jesus Christ. He's highlighting miracles. And the mega theme of the Gospel of John is believe, 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 believe. So number three, Jesus offers eternal life to all who believe. Jesus said this, John 10, 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What a good news message for the believer. Nobody's gonna, no, nobody can snatch you from God's hand. Satan can't snatch you. You can't, un, you can't get break loose from God's hand. The Bible tells us Jesus said it. Anybody experiences eternal life, if you go back to that section of Scripture, you would see that Jesus is basically saying, I've got your hand, and then he goes on to say, the Father's got your hand. And so we, like kids, we're in the hand of Jesus, and we're in the hand of God the Father. Like, we're in good hands, amen? That is really good news. That is really, really good news. Jesus declares that he gives eternal life. You all know, if you're watching football, you see the John 3.16 cardboard Sign, whoever believes, Jesus says, will have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 4.14, when Jesus met the woman at the well, he said to her, hey, the water that I give you will well up for eternal what? Life. There you go. Uh, John chapter 6, after he performed the miracle, uh, fed the 5,000, everyone, he says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. So, That's the review. The review is number one, Jesus is God. Amen? Okay, that's what Jesus says about himself. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Christianity is all about. Uh, Number two, though, we're going to see in our closing passage for John chapter 10 is Jesus is our example. This is very true. Um, Many people see Jesus Christ as a great moral example. Um, That is good. He is. Uh, But let's first accept him as God, right? Accept him as God for who he is. He declared he was God. He's not just some great moral teacher. Um, He is a good example, and this is where the application will come in today for you and for me. John chapter 10, verse 40 through 42. Um, Let me give you some context as we close out John chapter 10. 
uh, Jesus has shown up, remember, at the Feast of Dedication. That's what um, uh, the believers back then were celebrating, which today we would call Hanukkah. Uh, it was kind of like a restoration, rededication of the temple. Jesus shows up at this festival like he always does. And then he starts to proclaim that he's God. And then everybody's like, that's it. Shut him up. Grab stones. Let's throw rocks at him. And Jesus, like a ninja, he's gone. And why? Because the Bible tells us his time had not yet come. So there's a sovereign protection and plan over Jesus. Like he's not going to the cross ahead of time. He's not going to die the wrong way. He's going to die according to scripture, just as the prophets have predicted. So here's what happens. He leaves. And John, the apostle, the nearest and dearest of followers of Jesus, record for you and me kind of what happens. So the feast of dedication, Jesus' proclamation that he's God, he leaves. Well, where does he go? Where does he go? Here's what happens. It says, chapter 10, verse 40, closing out the passage or the chapter, it says that he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And he's talking about John the Baptist. And then he says at first, and there he remained. So he stayed there a while. Verse 41, and many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk through this passage, give some explanation, try to explain some concepts in there, and then we're going to get to the practical application. First thing I want to point out is this idea of again and again and again. It's mentioned again and again and again. It's mentioned three times in verses 31 through 40. Um, It's what I call the law of repetition. When you're studying the Bible and you see things that are repeated over and over again, that means it's kind of important. Um, Jesus kind of had a habit of getting away. And this is where the practical application is going to come in for you. How many of you enjoy and can see the benefit of time to time just getting away from everybody and everything? Yeah, good. Go off the grid. That's good. Get some time with God. Be alone with God. That is so good. So we're going to come back to that. That's going to be a major theme, but I want to give a little bit more context to what's going on here. He goes to, what does the Bible say? He goes again across the what? The Jordan. That's a river. Um, Back in Arkansas, there's a powerful, huge river called the Arkansas River. And I'll never forget, there was a pivotal moment in my Christian experience um, where I was burned out. And I was about to quit ministry and not be a pastor. I was going to go into the the business world. I was in business school, and I told my girlfriend, soon to be fiance, I think I'm done with ministry. She puts her hand on me, and she said, you ain't done. You got to keep going. That river served for me, a memory maker, what a special, sacred place. The Jordan River is very special to Jesus. It's a very, very special place. It was actually the place where he was baptized by John the Baptist, which, by the way, is his cousin which, by the way, is dead. John was beheaded because he spoke out against Herod Antipas, and they had him killed. They had him first locked up in a castle. Then they kill him. They cut off his head. The disciples bring the body to Jesus. Jesus just immediately leaves and finds solitude. Jesus here is getting away to a sacred place, I believe, the Jordan River. How many of you have ever been there before? Raise your hand. Just a few of you. Um, I'm, Lord willing, I'll be there uh, this spring. I'm taking a trip to Israel. 
But Jesus goes to the Jordan River. It's a special place. It's uh, in the middle of Israel. It flows from north to south, from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. The events that have kind of taken place throughout biblical history, just a few, this is where the Old Testament Israelites passed across the Jordan upon entry of the Promised Land. It's the place where Elijah sought refuge from Ahab, king of Israel, by the brook of Cherith, east of the Jordan in 1 Kings. It's the most significant place to me because it's the place where Jesus chose to be baptized. This is where Jesus goes. He's going to spend time uh, with John. Uh, John the Baptist is son of Zechariah, Elizabeth. He's a relative of Jesus. He baptized thousands of people for repentance of sins. He pointed his, to his disciples and said, behold the Lamb of God. His public ministry suddenly end, ended uh, when he spoke out against Herod, like I had mentioned. Uh, he was arrested, thrown into a castle, and ended up being beheaded. So Jesus is going to that place before he proceeds any further. And it says that he was baptizing. And at first, this is a, a today in Christian baptism, it's a very special event. John's baptism was different uh, than Christian baptism today. John baptized for repentance of, of sins, not necessarily a, um, a faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, John's baptism bound people to repentance, not to faith in Christ. And in fact, it's very interesting. For those of you that study the Bible, you can go look at this. But it was, it was not administered in the name of the Trinity, John's Baptist. He, he wasn't baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's just baptizing them based on their repentance of sin. And in fact, later the Apostle Paul rebaptizes those that were baptized by John so I'm giving you a little theological clarity here. And then we see that um, that's in Acts chapter uh, 18 and 19. Um, and then there's the baptism of Jesus. And some of you that are thinking clearly, Jesus is God, so why would he need to get baptized? Right? So you've got John's baptism, uh, baptism of repentance. Then you've got Jesus being baptism, baptized. Does he need to repent? No, he doesn't sin. He is without sin. So why does Jesus get baptized? Why would he do that? Well, here's why. Because Jesus Christ had to be formally inaugurated into his public ministry. And Jesus uh, had come to John, who was the representative of the law and the prophets, and that by him he might be introduced to his public ministry and recognized as the Messiah. So when John stood up and preached... Uh, at first, when Jesus comes to him, John's like, I don't want to baptize you. You're, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus perhaps refreshes his memory that this has got to take place. You're going to introduce me as the Messiah. And so Jesus is identifying with John's message and being publicly inaugurated as the Messiah. And then today in our church and in churches all around the world, we follow the ordinance of baptism that was instituted by Jesus Christ, according to Matthew 28, that uh, you, you're get, you get baptized. How many of you have been baptized by immersion, meaning go fully under the water? Raise your hands. A bunch of you, right? And if you have not yet been baptized, we can baptize you out there. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we've got a fountain that's turned into a baptismal, and yes, we do heat it up. Somebody after first service says, I want to get baptized. Are you going to heat that thing up? We do have a heater on it. Um, so, John was known, John the Baptist. This is where you build the Baptist denominations. This is a big deal. The baptism is a big deal. 
uh, in the New Testament as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, baptism is designed uh, and very, very important to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. How many of you married people wear a wedding ring? Raise your hand. And those of you that don't, your spouse is like, we should wear it, you know. Um, I've got a, uh, uh, like a, like a, like a rubber one, silicone. There you go. That's better to say that. Yeah. So I got a silicone one and, uh, because I lost mine in the bottom of Bartlett Lake when I was doing waterboarding or waterboarding. <laughs> what do they call it? The, the, the thing like that you paddleboarding, waterboarding. Yeah. Secret life. I didn't tell you about, sorry. So, so, I lost my, but baptism is that sign and that symbol that you're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so here's a picture of a young man in our church. He was baptized and he's got the shirt on. It says, I am new. Um, and this is Scott. He's an incredible, um, young man in our church. He's got a brilliant mind, corporate finance guy, and he's serving in North Valley kids and teaching your kids about Jesus Christ. He's so smart. Um, let's give those workers a big round of applause if you serve in kids. Um, so Scott uh, is passionate for Jesus, and he um, was baptized some months ago, and just very, very fast learner, and uh, is living the life for Jesus. So when you get baptized, it's like you're identifying that the old way of life is gone, and behold, the new has come, and you're 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 identifying with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to this special place, perhaps knowing millions of people will be baptized in the Jordan River in the generations to come, because he is God. Knowing this is where he was baptized, um, what a special place. I've got family and friends that have been baptized, uh, or, or friends that have been baptized there, and I know others uh, of you have uh, know stories about that too. So Jesus goes to this place, and it's a special place, and it says, closing out in verse 41, and many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And then in closing out in verse 42, and it says, and many, let's look at verse 42, it says, and many people believed in him there. It's a real special place. So what I want to do in the remaining time is go back to that key phrase when it says, why does, uh, uh, when Jesus went away. So I'm going to ask the question, uh, and then we're going to answer it. But why does Jesus take time away? Um, why would Jesus take time away? Um, and why should we take time off too? So this is the question I want to be wrestling with um, because Jesus gets away. And it mentions this over and over again. How many of you are familiar with the concept where Jesus kind of like, he wakes up early in the morning and he leaves, or after ministry and things are hard, he just gets away. Do you, do you recall that in the New Testament? Very, very important. So Jesus is our God and Jesus is our example. So maybe I, I want to stress something. I believe right now it is so important for Christians to be literally some of the most vibrant, life-giving people on the planet. We've come out of the pandemic. We've come out of three years of just a mess in America from political tensions, racial tensions, um, quarantines, high government control. Like it is a lot. And it is so easy to be the cranky, cranky Christian right now. 
And that, I want to tell you right now, you need to be one of the most life-giving people in the world. And what is the secret to doing that? I would say is by getting time away with God so that you can get recalibrated, rebalanced, and refreshed and renewed to be a life-giving spirit to other people. Amen? So Jesus is our model. Jesus is stressed. Why does he break away very easily, very logically? Number one, he's seeking safety and solitude. I mean, they're trying to kill him. So duh, he's got to get away. He's got to break away from the crazy crowd that's trying to kill him. In John chapter 6, it happened. Uh, he was, uh, did a miracle, and they came to try to take him by force. He withdraws and goes to a mountain. John chapter 7, they're seeking to arrest him, but nobody could lay a hand on him. In John chapter 8, the same thing in the temple. In John chapter 10, verse 39 through 40, let's look at it again. John chapter 10, verse 39 through 40, look what happens. It says this, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. I don't know if they're like grabbing his clothes and his robes and he's just shaking loose. But then where does he go? He goes to a really special place. He went away again across the Jordan. That's where Elijah was refreshed. That's where the folks enter into the promised land. They cross that Jordan River. That's where millions and millions of people will be baptized. Jesus goes to the Jordan. This is where John the Baptist, his cousin, was doing incredible ministry and thousands of people came to him. He goes to the Jordan, to the place. Let me ask you a question. Do you got a place? You got a place where you can slow down and connect. Maybe you need to find safety from the, the tension and the drama that's going on in your life. You need a safe place. Every one of us need a safe place. Maybe that's at home, but if you got a lot of trouble at home, maybe it's not at home. I don't know what your home is like, but you need safe places. You need a place to recharge and recalibrate. Jesus models that for us. Number two, why did Jesus often take time to get away? Um, and why should we? Number two, he did this to pray before important decisions. Now we're going to look at a series of other passages in the New Testament to look at the life of Jesus and see what he was doing. He would take time to get away for important decisions. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, when he was picking his disciples, look what it says. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose them from the 12. Jesus would break away to connect to God the Father and then make his important decisions. How do you make important decisions in your life? If you're like me, the temptation will be is just go talk to people you love. Or you will impulsively make a decision, and then you realize, wait a second, that decision has ramifications and a direction maybe I don't want to go down. Um, as believers, model the life of Jesus. He took time to get away. Why? Um, for safety, solitude. Number two, to pray before important decisions. What important decisions do you have? to make. What, what is it? Is it about a family and a relationship? To start a relationship? To end a relationship? Is it to move? Is it to take a job? Like, everything does matter right now. Your decisions determine your direction. You have personal choices. I did research this week on uh, personal happiness, and um, uh, I thought this was really good. If you're a book reader, this guy named J.P. Moreland uh, incredible theologian, very strong, biblically saturated man. 
uh, but he wrote a book called Finding Quiet. Listen to that, Finding Quiet. How many of you like some peace and quiet from time to time? Mm-hmm. Me too. It's like, it's too loud. I just need, to, need quiet. And this is why I like to go to the mountains. This is why I like to get away from the crowds. Like Disneyland to me is like scary sometimes. So it's just too loud. I love it. It's like I'm overwhelmed with my sensations. But I think part of the problem in our culture right now is the pace of life is so fast that I don't think the brain or the nervous system can actually keep up. I think the world system that we are in is literally absolutely going to erode the good, the health of the emotional, spiritual well-being of our physical and spiritual beings. There's a breakdown. But it's very interesting to me uh, in J.P. Moreland's book called Finding Quiet, His Story of Overcoming Anxiety and Practices That Brought Him Peace. And he talks about in the book a lot about breaking away, getting away. And I'm thinking this is exactly what Jesus did constantly getting away. Like telling his closest, nearest, and dearest disciples, like, I can't spend time with you. I just need to go away by myself. And he's spending time with the Father. Like, how good would that be if that was you? Like, in your craziness and things that go on in your life, you're like, I got to get away to get time with my Father to make sure that we're good and so that I know how to live this thing called the Christian life. There's really, I think there's a level of courage and confidence when you feel like you're freshened up by God and you have a divine direction in your life, like you can make decisions more clearly. You're more confident. Um, What I found out about happiness in J.P. Moreland's book, he writes 50% of happiness comes from genetics. In other words, some people are just born happier people. Some of you are just by nature more optimistic, more joyful, more excited. Uh, 10% of happiness comes from personal circumstances. I thought, wow, 10%, only 10%. It's like, but you think about it. You buy a car, you're happy for like a month. And then you're like, oh, I'm not happy anymore. You buy a house, you do whatever you do. You're happy for a little bit, but listen to this 40% of personal choices, 40% of personal choices contribute to your happiness. I think what's needed in the church right now is kind of like a a step back, reconnecting with God, being filled up with a level of holiness and joy and satisfaction in God, and then in that becomes the greatest, the happiest people on the planet. I think the, the more holy you are, the more happy you are. I think the more you pursue God as your creator, you're in line with the creation structure, and you're at your best when you're walking and living according to God's plan and purpose. Amen? I mean, it makes sense to me. I think Christians have a moral obligation to be happy at some level or another. Happy people help people. Happy people encourage people. Happy people lift others up. Here's what Philippians 4.4 says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. What? Rejoice. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, uh, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. God has already accepted your work. Psalms 144.15 says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. John 15.11, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So how do you get there? I think you got to get away. I think you need to get away. I think you need to break away from the crazy and the crowd and connect with God more. 
I think you need that in your life to make better decisions. I think you need that in your life to live the life God wants you to live. Uh, Number three, Jesus did it to rest and to refocus after hard work. Some of you are crushing it. You're doing a lot of hard work. You need after, you need rest and you need refocus. When you exert a lot of energy and you go and you go and you go and you go and you go, you rest. And what do you do? You refocus. And then you go again. You go again. You keep going. And, and when you come back, you're refilled. And I think there's something healing and powerful when you're, I don't know if you like to be in the outdoors or not, but there's, this is part of why Phoenix is what Phoenix is, is because people come here because of the sunshine. They come here because of the blue sky. Well, guess who made all that? And he's using it to help you. Jesus got away in the mountains. Jesus got away in the solitude. He, he broke from the crowds over and over and over again, probably going, look what I made. I made all this. Father, fill me up. Not my will, but your will be done. Um, rest and refocus after hard work. Matthew 14, after, hard, uh, after a lot of hard work, he dismisses the crowds and he goes up to a mountain by himself to pray. Uh, Luke chapter 15, after he heals a leper, uh, and the reports and the crowds start to gather around him, he breaks away, and Luke, the gospel writer, says that he would withdraw to desolate places. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 31, look what happens. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And they're like, hey man, we're crushing it. We're doing miracles. We're doing crazy cool stuff. Jesus, check this out. And after he said, uh, after he said to them, he says, come away by yourselves. Leave everybody around. Leave them. Let's go to a desolate place and rest a while. This is our Lord. After incredible success, after hard work, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure or even time to eat. Jesus took time for that. So I I think that my encouragement for you is like, just think about your own personal life. And think about like, are you getting away to get with God? I said this in the first service. um, I wasn't planning on saying it, but think about even pockets within your day for the presence of God doesn't have to be like uh, huge getaways to the mountain. I think I've experienced God's presence and power probably more on the floors of my room than on the mountains because the floors are there every day. But the mountains are great. But number four, here's another time to pause and pump the brakes and get away is number four, Jesus did it for a time to grieve in times of loss or hardship. How many of you lost a loved one in this last 12 months or so? Raise your hand. A bunch of you. So what do you need? You need time to grieve. There's a time for mourning. Um, maybe you lost a loved one physically. I mean, they, they passed on. Maybe you lost a relationship. Maybe something broke and they're gone. And there needs to be a time of grieving. That Jesus models this for us in Matthew 12, 14, 12 through 13. He lost his cousin. Look what happens. And his disciples came and took the body and they buried it. Whose body is that? It's John the Baptist. And they went and they told Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. He just left. He didn't take anybody with him. From there in a boat, he gets in a boat and he goes to a desolate place all by himself. Hey, can I come with you, Jesus? No, you can't come with me. 
hey, I'll pray for you. No, I don't need you to pray for me. I just need to be by myself. You need to be by yourself. You don't, you don't get away so that you can like um, empty yourself out. You go away so that you can be filled up with God. This isn't some Eastern practice of meditation where you're emptying yourself. You're not detaching. You're actually getting away to attach. Does that make sense? You're getting away so that not you're going to detach from the world, but you're trying to attach to God. He is the maker of heaven and earth and all that is in it. You are his prized possession. You are his people. His sheep know his voice. But how can his sheep know his voice if they never slow down to hear it? So this is what it looks like. I think what the Apostle Paul talks about, walking by the Spirit. How do, you, how do you walk by the Spirit? How do you live by the Spirit? You're in tune with God because you spend time with God. And in, in hardship, here Jesus models, I lost my cousin. Time out. No more ministry. Don't book it up. Not going to Jerusalem. Not going to Jericho. I'm going alone. Jesus is in a boat. He just left us. Give the guy a break. He lost his family. Lost a family member. Gets in a desolate place. Number five, why did Jesus often take time to get away? Number five, to renew physical and spiritual strength. Be strong in the Lord. Be courageous. Be filled up with power. Be filled up with strength that is not your own. Don't live life on willpower. Live life on God's power. Amen? Like, you don't need willpower. You need God's power in your life. You don't need ordinary power and presence. You need extraordinary power and presence. This is the model. This is the message of Jesus Christ. Persevere. How? Be in the presence of God. Be filled with God. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That we have power that's given. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. Like, that is good. That is really good. So... Does this happen in the life of Jesus? Absolutely. In the beginning, when Jesus is going and uh, about to debut in the beginning of his ministry, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 that he breaks away for 40 days into the wilderness and he comes out full of the Holy Spirit. And then everybody kind of sees, like, oh my goodness, this man is on fire. Like, he is amazing. John chapter 10, you saw that after he was about to get stoned to, to death uh, and arrested, he broke away. He's getting time to get away. He's renewing, I think, for spiritual strength. And then last but not least, when we think about um, the cross and we think about Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives, look what happens in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 44. We're going to see Jesus renew his physical and spiritual strength. Verse 39, it says, and when he, 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 when he came out and went, as was his custom, see, he would do this a lot. This was an ordinary thing for him. Break away, get away. He went to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Verse 40, and when he came to the place, he said to them, why don't you pray that you may not enter into temptation? That temptation would be betrayal, and they do. Verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, and then he knelt down and he prayed and saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What's he doing? He's talking to the Lord. He's talking to uh, the Father. God the Son is talking to God the Father in prayer. 
And he's saying, there's a really difficult thing that's about to happen. I don't want to go to the cross. If you've got another way, I'm game. And, but he says, not my will, but yours be done. And verse 43, what a powerful passage. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. I think about you this week. Those of you that are going to choose to do it, maybe today. You're going to break away because you've got some decisions to make. You're going to break away because you need to mourn and grieve. You're going to break away because something's going on in your life and you need to slow down and pump the brakes. I believe an angel could be encouraging, strengthening you today, tomorrow, the next day. We live in a, as a Christian, we don't live simply in a natural world. We live in a supernatural world. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we're not just dealing with ordinary things, but extraordinary things. And what's happening to Jesus in his humanity, he's crying out, I don't want the cross. In his divinity, he's saying, whatever it takes, God, I will do that. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In the book of 1 Kings, uh, Elijah is worn out, and the Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord shows up and strengthens and ministers to him. I just want you to be strong. I want you to be filled with joy. I want you to face life courageously. I want you to follow Jesus as your example, but don't stop there. Remember, you're following him as your example because he is your Lord. He is your Lord. You should tell people about that. You should live that out in your life. It'll bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I do pray that we would follow in your example and that we would worship you as God. You are the high king of heaven. You're the prince of peace. You're the everlasting father. Thank you, Jesus. We ask that you'd fill us up, encourage us, that we might live for you in all the days of our life, whatever decision that we have, whatever obstacle we face, might we turn to you. And Father, the relationship that you offer is so individual for each and every person, which is amazing. And it is also corporate for the church at large, the family of God. And we're grateful for that. I pray for your blessing and peace and encouragement on everybody here today, that you might lift their spirits and they might, as they turn to you, be refreshed. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.